Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. of the Mensa brothers will join us today. Uh, Tim Lynch, not able to. Yeah. We recorded last night. He uh, he was in route. We delayed it twice. And then he vanished. So I hope Timmy, wherever he is, is okay. I was reminded last night of the joy of clean sheets. Yep. It's not like I don't wash my sheets, but you know when you do, you get in your bed and you're like, oh man, this is awesome. Yes, yeah, so I was reminded of that last night. Um, and, uh, you know, I was happy to see uh, Prince William stand up for his family. <laughs> um, In a little bit of a teaser of the of the Mensa brothers today, 
uh, I start a feature called Winners and Losers of the Week, right? Brett Bear does it on his show, and I thought, you know what? I should do that. And my loser of the week is Prince Harry. Right, you'll get to hear theirs, but um, I mean, I had uh, I had you know great respect for the guy until this last. I mean, let me tell you, he lives in a pretty unique family that's made him a wealthy, wealthy, wealthy human being to the point where he never has to work in his life. Right, all he has to do is try to make himself happy, and. The way he repays all that is he goes on American TV and he throws his family under the bus in a way that he certainly, you know, I don't know what you would call it. It's uh, the revenge his wife would exact. And I was very happy to see uh, stories today that, and I haven't read, I saw the headlines, um, but uh, that uh, Prince William, his older brother, uh, stood up for his family and said, our family's not racist. And uh, so, anyway, I was happy to see that. Uh, looking at uh, at this morning's headlines before I hopped in the shower. Um, now, question. Do you think we'll see riots? Okay. Do you think we'll see riots as uh, Derek Chauvin goes to trial? Yeah. One wonders, right? One wonders. Will we see uh, riots? And so, um, interested to see what happens. Interesting. To, interested to see the public stance people take. Because I'm pissed I get to destroy your business. So interesting, interested to see um, about that. The um, the other thing um, that is, you know, seems like in the news on a on a daily basis almost is Governor Cuomo's little situation, and the absolute hypocrisy of people that um, burned it down on Judge Kavanaugh. Absolutely, positively burned it to the ground. And so so when we see situations like that, what should we know? And, and you know whose uh, who's words ring in my head uh, when I see this kind of stuff is Shelby Steele. If you, if you watch, right? If you watch the the documentary, uh, what killed Michael Brown? It takes a look at. He takes a look at. Shelby Steele, a black man, um, and uh, he takes a look at how race gets used in our country, and that if the metric of what benefits black communities is used, then race, according to him, only gets used as a means to greater power. Okay? So when you hear somebody talking about race, right, it is a convenient tool that they will use 
to increase their own political power. And so, uh, so I mean, and it gives the example of all the different organizations that descended on Ferguson, collected millions of dollars, and then left. And Ferguson, some say, is in worse condition today than it was before. And then all they did was they participated in this event to increase their visibility, to increase their fundraising, and then they left and they didn't give a shit about Ferguson to begin with. That's his proposition. He says you will see that constantly. So is sexual harassment the same way? So all these people who, who are so visible, so visible when somebody that's not in their party is accused, do they have the same standard when somebody in their own party? And the answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. What are, what are we up to? Six women now that have accused the governor of the state of New York of some conduct that's inappropriate. The later the latest is somebody that was you know working in I guess the governor's residence. And so, and so it goes. Shocking, you know, the dig, the indignance and the emotion that gets vented when they're from the other party. But when it's somebody in your own house, no comment, no comment, no comment, no comment, no comment. It's, I mean, it's kind of gross, honestly, to be that publicly, um, hypocritical over such a significant issue as sexual harassment, right? Me too. Okay. All of that. So, um, pretty amazing to watch it play out in public in front of God and everybody. The, the other thing again, that by the day gets more amazing is, um, is I'd be really curious to hear the discussions in the White House about how do we, we can't let the president, you know, get, do a give and take with reporters the way Donald Trump did. We have to limit, we have to limit that. That's our winning, right? That's our winning proposition. That was our winning proposition, right? We, we, we vigorously controlled the media's access to him and did not allow him the opportunity to do what he does when he's given the opportunity, which is to um, misspeak, to get confused, right, and to do the things that he does. So, but that's astounding that here you have the President of the United States and he doesn't, he won't answer questions. You know? It's just, and then, but again, if it's your guy, it's all good. And so, I, you know, is there not somebody who has an idea to create a, a news network that would do the news? That would that would like legitimately do the news with reputable people, 
and would do quality work. Does that, is that not a moneymaker? Could that not sustain itself financially? It's got to be able to do better than the number CNN does. It's got to be. So anyway, it's just honest. It's just amazing. It's like you're, uh, it's like, it's, it's literally living the emperor's new clothes. Nothing to see here. You know, we're not going to talk about that. And then until ultimately we're shamed into talking about it. We're absolutely positively shamed into talking about it. And, and those are the people that bring you the, the quote-unquote news every day. The news that we think that you should see. The news that lines up with our political stance. Oh yeah, that news. Pretty scary stuff. Pretty scary stuff. If that's the filter that everything comes through. Yikes. So, um, good morning to you on this Thursday. You're going to get a chance to hear um, Betty Rogers next week. Betty, the co-producer with Ken. If you didn't hear Ken's interview earlier this week, listen to it. Um, He's great. He's great. Vietnam veteran, documentary filmmaker, and a student of, of the study of, you know, trauma impacting your life and what it is to be somebody who brings that into a family. And, uh, you know, it's interesting when Ken, uh, talking about the movie, uh, he says, you know, I, he said, I look at that and they're talking about me. I'm that guy. So if you haven't, if you haven't seen that, um, if you haven't listened to that interview, I would recommend it to you by all means. And the other thing I tell you is that, and, and so I wanted to interview them very separately because they have separate, very separate and distinct perspectives. You know, Ken as somebody who fought in Vietnam. Well, Betty's history is is interesting. You know, her um, grew up in 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 a family of veterans. Uh, I think Ken says in the interview that Betty's family. Uh, I think her mother, father, her grandma or grandpa were like American Legion commanders in California of something. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, they were contributors, right? Uh, leaders in, in the veterans movement. So anyway, but he has her own perspective. And um, so you're going to get a chance to hear from her next week. And... Uh, and so uh, working on another interview with the company commander from Vietnam. Excited to do that. And then uh, and I think maybe Grant Newsham's going to join us. So next week will be another awesome week here on All Marine Radio. So good morning to you. The United States Marine Corps Band makes it official. Two-thirds of the Mensa brothers join me here in a few minutes after we'll do a quick check of the news headlines. So good morning to you. <laughs>
And this is dedicated to Prince William for sticking up for his family. Yeah. Not your fault. Your crazy-ass brother brought in an actress, right, who's going to tilt the world on her access, on her, yeah, to her. So, well done. betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds and win. You gotta win. For us to check the weather in Quantico, it is mostly sunny and all the way up to 66. How about that? Wow. Down the coast, Camp Lejeune, sunny and 70. Nice. 29 Palms going the other way. A little bit of sun, mostly clouds and 45 degrees. Camp Pendleton, 
mostly cloudy and 50. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark, cloudy, and 70. In Okinawa, it is dark, cloudy, and 69. In the Northern Territory, on the northern coast of Australia, it is dark, cloudy, and 79. Now, I have a, um, I have a little bit of a dissertation about the weather in uh, Australia that I'm going to read to you here in a second. Um, it is snowing in 34 in Norway. So you got that going for you if you're there. Now, hold on. Let me... Uh, Northern Australian weather. Uh, Mac, in relation to your comments on Darwin weather, much of Australia, including Darwin, is in the tropics, above the Tropic of Cancer. As such, Darwin has a wet October to April and dry season May through September. to go with those fairly uniform temperatures. Currently, Darwin is coming out of summer and heading into fall on 21 March. During the wet season, Darwin gets heavy rains and is and it affects military operations. That's why there's no marine rotational force in Australia year-round. The Australian Defence Force picks up much of the unit stationed at Darwin and moves it to South Australia during the wet season to allow it to train. Evidently, Singapore is smarter than the U.S. and is investing in a large training area in Townsville, Queen, Queensland. Townsville is also in the tropics, but it is in a dry tropical zone, so the Australian Army has a brigade station here year-round with associated training available. Another example of U.S. geographical ignorance at work. <laughs> so, there, so there you have it. Right there, you have it. So a little bit of uh, that's from Mike Marletto. Yeah, he knows about Australia. So, uh, so just figured I would share that with you. The um, local weather here in the Newport Beach, Costa Mesa area of Southern California is. Uh, Partly sunny and 50 degrees. 12% chance of rain through 9 o'clock this morning. Looking for a high of 57 today, 58 tomorrow, and we'll be right around 60 until Monday. Yeah, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm over this, I can tell you that. Right? It is like the middle of March, for God's sakes, and we're hovering at 60? Come on now. Um, check the weather, and then the Mensa Brothers will join us. Uh, top headline in uh, Stars and Stripes today is uh, a story about um, a, a murder in Germany. Not sure why that dominates Stars and Stripes. Um. This kind of
Here's another story. Marine Corps sunset over machine gun tweet above Okinawa draws fire. The 1st Marine Air Wing removed a tweet Monday of an Okinawa sunset photographed from a helicopter in flight after it provided sizable negative responses. And it was taken, I guess, after a training event. And there's a machine gun in it. Blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you, it's interesting that so much of, of, of the daily media is concerned with military people, you know, sharing and putting up their lives in front of God and everybody, and then the, the world gets to react to that. I can envision someday, right, the UCMJ says, yeah, you're not allowed to do that. Everything that happens in the military goes straight to social media. Goes straight. To, I mean, the article yesterday, right, dominating stars and stripes was bed bugs on a on a submarine. So it happens to you, and you decide you need to share it with the world. Which is that? Is that congruent with good order and discipline? I don't know. All I know is the military winds up chasing its tail on a daily basis because of these stories because somebody's not happy. And that's their right to air their grievance. I don't know. I don't know how you function, you know, in, in an orderly environment when all you do is chase Twitter stories. Um, top stories in uh, Wall Street Journal. Jobless claims ease as hiring picks up. Yeah, stand by for the U.S. economy to, like, explode, right? Um, top story, business story, is China lays out a plan to tame tech giant Alibaba. Uh, its founder, Jack Ma, had his wings clipped, what, a month or two ago? Uh, it is China's e-commerce company. So anyway, um, that in the news today. The um, top story in USNI News. U.S. extradite the Thai Glen Defense Marine Asia this is the Fat Leonard thing in the ongoing Fat Leonard corruption probe. Yeah, extradited him to the United States. How about that? That's got to make some people uneasy. So, yeah, this whole, if you're not familiar with the Fat Leonard thing, you know, just do a search on U.S. Navy Fat Leonard. Yeah. United States Navy dumping billions of dollars around the Pacific Rim and officers, uh, chiefs, petty officers receiving kickbacks for it. I told you that uh, USNI News does a, does a good job of uh, reporting on on reports to Congress. There's a report to Congress on amphibious warship warfare ship program 
That is in the news today. And top stories, Marine Corps Times. Looks like this. story about Marine Corps purchasing too many CH-53 kilos while still testing its capabilities. And in, uh, one of the things you're going to hear us talk about in, uh, in the upcoming segment is the proliferation of stories that says that the F-35 is not the, is not the product that we actually need. Right? Is not the is not it the um, is not the the weapon that we need, and we built this thing, and it's too expensive to operate. And that coming from the chairman of the House Armed Service Committee, Adam Smith. Yep, that we we built this thing, and it's simply too expensive. How about that? And that we need to stop throwing good money after bad money. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's talking about the F-35, if you can believe that. <laughs> Top five stories in Early Bird. Number one, Blinken, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, that guy. And Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin will make their first overseas trip to Japan and South Korea. State Department spokesman Ned Price said the trip is meant to reaffirm the United States' commitment to strengthen our alliances and to highlight cooperation that promotes peace, security, and prosperity in the Indo-Pacific region and around the world. So we'll see. We'll see what we do relative to China. I would tell you the biggest failing of, of the Trump administration, in my opinion, was their failure to create a replacement for the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And um, the free nations of the world have got to embrace the nations of the Pacific Rim, of the Indo-Pacific, okay? And they've got to do that economically, and through those increased economic ties, um, they will carve out a position for themselves that is special because, again, that's 60% of the world's economy in the free nations of the world. Yeah, that's a lot of money. It's four times China's GDP. So it's nothing small or it's nothing to sneeze at. And so, anyway, um, to me, that was the greatest failing of uh, of the Trump administration. That he, so if you're so if you're about bilateral agreements, then get after them. Vietnam, the Philippines, Malaysia, right, and give them preferential treatment and pull them closer to the United States economically. That's what needs to happen because that is the door. And, and let me tell you why it's so significant. You know, we talk about the Marine Corps. Uh, 
trying to exist in this weapons weapons engagement zone, the WEZ. Well, if you if you have the ability to be ashore already in Vietnam, in the Philippines, in Malaysia, and if you look at your map and you look where those places are, you know, that's that's pretty different than trying to hide at sea, which I honestly, look, I don't know if, if, if well, there's technology that completely masks the signature of, uh, you know, or there's technology that, you know, I, I, let me tell you, I just, the Chinese will solve that by sending six ships to shadow your one. And they can crank that shit out all day. So I, again, I, I don't, I don't see how you how a ship becomes invisible. I'm struggling with that whole concept. Now, if you're ashore, they're screwed because you can move and they won't be able to track you. If you're ashore in the Philippines, if you're if if you're ashore in either the Philippines or Vietnam, then the whole equation for the Marine Corps and the Army is different in terms of influencing a fight in the South China Sea. And, and then, but the other interesting discussion in all of this is this. So, is a shooting contest in the South China Sea, does that go nuclear at some point? Between two superpowers? I mean, haven't really done that dance, right? Haven't really done that dance. But anyway, um, I think this diplomatic piece is huge, and the economic agreement that needs to be signed pretty important pretty important so we'll see if the biden administration could do something that the trump administration uh, either did not care to do or wasn't interested in doing i don't really understand it number two u.s poorly integrates cocoms hasn't figured out hybrid according to the deputy chairman of the joint chiefs of staff air force general john Hayton. he's the vice chairman The current system of integrating the responsibilities and actions of regional commanders in the chief doesn't work well. That doesn't make sense. The current system of integrating the responsibilities and actions of regional commanders in chief, uh, of regional commanders in chief, doesn't work well. And the U.S. is still failing to address hybrid warfare coherently, General John Hayton, vice chairman, said on March 10th. He also discussed China and Russia's strategic activities, how to approach modernizing NORAD and his efforts to inject more speed into the joint requirements process. Speaking to, on an online seminar of the Canadian Conference on Defense Associations, Hyten said the U.S. is struggling with, quote, the integration piece of its system of regional combatant commands. Quote, we've learned that we actually don't know how to do that very well. We don't effectively operate in an integrated manner. The U.S. is experimenting with ways to close the seams through exercises and war games, some alone and some in concert with allies, especially in Europe. So we've achieved the first step of a 12-step process, but we haven't moved beyond.
Interesting. Interesting. Uh, number three, trust in the military is dropping significantly, a new survey suggests. New public opinion poll by the Ronald Reagan Institute this week. About 56% of American surveys said they have a great deal of trust and confidence in the military, down from 70% in 2018. The poll includes views of more than 2,500 individuals who were asked the question in February of 2021. There has been a rising concern over domestic division and political violence in the United States and for, for a number of years now. It's according to one of the guys who was part of the survey, the, the team that did the survey. We see this in we see in this poll that Americans are experiencing a sense of pessimism in almost every question regarding confidence or trust or reliance on allies. The numbers are generally ticking down interesting general pessimism huh troops guarding congress won't just be free labor for capital police the pentagon says i i this is that stuff's crazy number five soul agrees to pay more for hosting american troops we talked about that yesterday overseas operations the Theodore Roosevelt transited the Taiwan Straits. Uh, more U.S. bases in Japan are easing post-travel coronavirus restrictions for vaccinated troops. And uh, the impact of an interview that the outgoing head of, uh, of the Indo-Pacific Command gave is still kind of rippling. And... Um, and here's a here's an example of the headline: uh, U.S. losing its military edge in Asia as China looks like it's planning for war. That from the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command Chief. All right. Quote: I cannot, for the life of me, understand some of the capabilities that they're putting in the field unless it is an unless it is an aggressive posture. Testifying for the Senate Armed Service Committee on Tuesday, Admiral Phil Davidson, head of the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command, warned against an increasing imbalance in the region brought on by China's rapid military advance. The military balance in the Indo-Pacific is becoming more unfavorable for the United States and our allies, Davidson said. With this imbalance, we are accumulating risks that may embolden China to unilaterally change the status quo before or, or before our forces may even be able to to deliver an effective response. China announced last week it will increase its defense budget by 6.8% in 2022, allocating 208.6 billion to their defense budget, a move that has concerned the US lawmakers and defense officials. 208 billion 
the United States defense budget is $700 billion. So uh, that'll look at the uh, news. So without further ado, uh, right now, the uh, Mensa brothers uh, will join me. And uh, Tim Lynch was uh, en route at this time. And so we tried to hold up, and so we could include him. But ultimately, we could not. So without further ado, the Mensa brothers right here on All Marine Radio on a Thursday on the All Warrior Radio Network. Hi, I'm Colleen McNamara, and you're listening to my dad on All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. Now, I don't know how many actual traps I've been in in my life, but uh, this is a tribute to how fucked up Elvis was, because um, I'm not sure that I would describe any situation that involved Priscilla Presley as a trap, right? And uh, I don't know if Jeff and Will are Elvis fans. Jeff, are you an Elvis fan? I'm an Elvis admirer, but not a fan. Like, I don't like the music that much, but I admire the guy. You like the cape? I like the... Uh, the cape was like, a bad look, though. Relative, It's relative to rock stars since. Uh, oh. He was a guy who served his country. Unlike the star before him, who was everybody was gaga over. Frank Sinatra had better things to do than go to World War II. So did John and, Wayne. And so uh, did John Wayne, I might add. Yes. Well, John Wayne yeah, had football injury or whatever the fuck. But uh, you're right. He should have gone anyway. But, uh, but Elvis went... And he, you know, he was, by all accounts, a good soldier. And, uh, you know, he's pretty good. Now, when I was on embassy duty in Tehran, Elvis died of being overweight and drugs. Right. So. COVID. Yeah, I was ordered to put the flag at half-mast. Now, that flag we had was a holiday flag that flew outside the ambassador's residence, but it's inside the compound. So, I did it. But it wasn't easy. And uh, wait, wait! You flew the embassy flag in Tehran at half mast no, for Elvis. There's flags. There's the flag in front of the chancery, which is what you'd see if you're coming up to the embassy as a regular size flag. Right. But in the compound, which was huge, I mean, it's as big as the the regimental areas there at uh, Lejeune, right? But or, smaller or, than Al-Assad. It was about as big as Margarita. That's how big it was. Whoa. Yeah, it was big. And uh, so there was inside there, there was a holiday flag that was like in front of the ambassador's residence. Right. right. So I lowered that one. I put that one at half. I put it up and I put it at half. That one I needed Maimon to help me. Did you just and, explain um, how you fly a flag at half mast to it? You got to raise it all the way to the top. Then you got to bring it down and there's saluting involved. And so, but it's difficult when you're on embassy duty. It's just you and one other guy. Who's hung over? Who ordered that? Did you order that, or as a corporal? Oh, ambassador Richard. His name is Richard Sullivan at that time. So he ordered the the the, the flag be flown. I like that. My guess, Jimmy Carter did, and it just f- followed suit. But uh, about two weeks later, Bing Crosby died. Now, in my family, Bing Crosby is much more popular <laughs> than I was president. So I took it upon myself 
to put the flag at half mast. And so there's no gunny steps involved and in, not involved in either one of these situations. Yeah, he was. He just said do it. <laughs> but he didn't say do it for the second one. He said undo it right fucking now. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> fucking Crosby. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Elvis. He, I, I mean, I just don't understand why none of his friends told him that the cape is not a good look, bro. You, I don't know what happened there. It's, a, it's something that happens when you get really rich. You stop mowing your lawn. You stop driving your car, and then you, you know, you start doing stupid shit. Nobody will tell you what an idiot you look like, and then pretty soon history is judging you because of it. Well, that's about the time Kiss came out, and you had Alice Cooper, and you know everything was kind of going out the window. Are you kidding me? I thought you would like rolled around as a kid imitating that shit. No, I didn't. But didn't. Uh, but I couldn't help but notice it. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> especially Kiss. Yeah, Kiss was yeah. noticeable. I, yeah. I I would agree with that. I would agree with that. So we were, you, we, we were camming up. They'd say, "This ain't you ain't fucking Kiss." <laughs> so yeah. Fucking your nose and your forehead. <laughs> Your chin, get the dark shit, and the light green shit goes in the hollows, and make it quick. Yeah. Uh, and be careful of the of the edge of that cami stick, because <clears throat> that'll kill you. Right. I remember being in Quantico and having that bug spray, because if you were a West Coast Marine, you didn't really use it until you got to Okinawa. But mm -hmm. I remember, you know, we had fanny packs. That was a big deal then. That was a kind of special ops piece of equipment back then. Um, yeah. Yeah, an ass pack. So um, my bug juice would leak, as it always does, because it is made by the low bid, right? And uh, and I remember going to pull my cami stick out of my uh, out of my uh, out of my fanny pack, and the bug juice had taken all the paint off my cami stick. And I looked at it. I thought, What does this do to my face? <laughs> exactly. What does it do to my balls? <laughs> right? You look at it, and even even the stupidest amongst us would say, that shit just peeled the paint off my cami. So let me explain the cami stick. The cami stick came in this metal cylinder, okay? Yeah. It, about as a little bit smaller than a dry dry erase marker, the big, the, the kind of the bigger ones that would go on a dry erase board. So it, about the size of just the, the, the fat shape of that. And uh, and you'd shove it. The dark end was at one side, and the the light end was at the other. And you'd shove light it back green, and forth. Light green and loam. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, so I pulled this out, and all the paint's gone. I'm like, what the fuck does this stuff do to your face? So anyway, um, well, that's good. It makes you invisible. Then <laughs> it makes you invisible. <laughs> so, yeah. The thing is, though, Lejeune Marines were were immune to that. Yeah, because if you didn't bathe in that stuff before you went to the field, you were dead, and you never got back to Quantico. <laughs> we, so. we we used that fucking skin so soft stuff. We were we didn't fuck around with the shit they gave you, man. We we you used know. the hundred hundred percent DEET. <laughs> yeah, shit. People said that'll give you cancer. I said, yeah, but at least I won't have ticks and chiggers. <laughs> and our kids are all fucking <laughs> gotcha-eyed and gaming. <laughs> Slack jawed fucking. <laughs> the um Tim Lynch is hasn't joined us yet. He's dri he was driving. We postponed recording this uh, in Tim's honor, and he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'm checking in. I'll be able, to, you know." And he still hasn't joined us, and and we've delayed it beyond our initial delay. So uh, Jeff and Will are with me tonight. Um, do you remember? Um, what was your? Did you? 
I got told the remedy for chiggers in Quantico, where I first encountered them, was bleach. Scratch the shit out of them and then take bleach and then rub your skin with bleach. And I did that. And that shit hurt. That shit hurt, I'm going to tell you. Yeah. And my wife at the time, Susan, is looking at me saying, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting rid of the chigger. And she goes, oh, those are those things that get inside you and lay eggs? And I said, yeah. She said, that's disgusting. <laughs> and she said, and so Susan's father was a doctor. She said, well, what are you doing? I said, I'm scratching them open, and then I'm going to put bleach on this rag, and then I'm going to, like, wipe bleach on them. And she looks at me, she said, who told you to do that, right? And I said some shit like Duffy White or something like that, right? Dr. Kevorkian. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Kevorkian. <laughs> so she looked at me and she said, you guys are idiots. She said, you don't do that. And I just looked at her and I said, huh? <laughs> yeah. And she walked. It feels good, though, to, to tear them open, put alcohol or bleach on them, you know what I mean? Uh, guys, guys used to go to the beach. Just go to the beach and you'd see all, all the grunts sitting down there with their kids with their asses in the sand and their fucking ankles in the, in the surf because it would get rid of it that way pretty you know, pretty effectively. Yeah, it's tough to do in the Chopawamsic, though. No, <laughs> fuck no. True. You're going to get more shit in the Chopawamsic. Never, never cross the Chopawamsic. you used condoms and dead drug dealers and all kinds of shit. Never like cross the Chopawamsic. <laughs> How about that? I think that's the first time the Chapawamsic has ever been discussed on the program. The um, all right, let's you know I I uh before I before we talk about some serious, I let me ask you, your what's your favorite chain restaurant? And I don't mean fast food. All right, so I'll I'll describe. I'll, I'll give you a few national chain restaurants. Uh. Uh, like Outback Steakhouse would be a national chain. Um, Morton's national chain of a restaurant. Um, I mean, you could even, you could, I'll even allow you to ghetto it up with like Cracker Barrel or something like that. But a national chain, go inside, sit down restaurant. Uh, Jeff, do you have a favorite? Yeah, it's a breakfast place around here. Um, uh God damn it. Well, it's a national chain, so it can't be just around there. No, it isn't. It's, it's, it isn't just around here. Okay, okay. But, uh, but you know what? It might just be around here because I've never seen it anywhere else. Then it's but not I, a national chain, for God's sakes. Yeah, but but uh, it's. I would say my favorite one would be uh, Applebee's. National chain, Applebee's. What's your, do, you have a, do you have your favorite meal at Applebee's? Um, yeah, I get the... Uh, um, the uh, the sirloin, um, like the the regular cut of the sirloin steak. Regular cut sirloin steak, Applebee's. Will, how about you? Will's kind of a snob, just so you know. Everybody knows. You know, um, what what's that huge buffet place down at Camp Lejeune? Oh, Golden Corral. So now, so there's a story behind it, right? <laughs> I. I there's no reason to go to a national chain anymore. But when my kids were little, and don't forget, my son was 16 months old when my daughters were born. So I had three kids under the age of, you know, two. Well done, one well done, Will. But when we were at Lejeune, and I was, uh, I must have been a captain by then. 
my wife insisted that she wasn't going to cook one night a week and we were going to eat leftovers one night a week at least. So we would go to Golden Corral because you could feed the whole family for about 25 bucks. And even if the kids ate ice cream, you know, there was something there for everyone. But one of the reasons I really like to go there on like Thursday night, because <laughs> all those jarheads would be there. They'd just come out of the field after eating MREs or not eating MREs for three days. And they would lay waste <laughs> to that buffet. Yeah. There'd be a table of 12 of them and the wreckage on top of that table was, it was awe-inspiring. And that's why I like <laughs> That's why I like Golden Corral. Golden Corral. That's I, yeah. In I, Kansas I, City, you don't have to go to national chains. You know, there's yeah. some great local chains, barbecue places. No, I'm there. talking national chain though. That everyone no. would. My, I'll tell you what. My, I wind up being the hybrid in all this. Uh, mine is uh, Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Oh, you can't beat that, man. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's mine. High swanky. Yeah. If someone else is footing the bill, that's a good place to go. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, but no, you get, I mean, and the, the steaks come sizzling, right? All the sides are good. And let me tell you, they have, they have some of the best cheesecake in the country. Ruth Chris yeah. cheesecake. So you know that, you know that Ruth Chris, it's down by the Holiday Inn in San Diego. I don't know if it's yes. there. Yeah. 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 So a buddy of mine, Delmar. uh, yeah. I went to high school with, went to the hotel school at Cornell. And at one point he was the manager for that Holiday Inn. And so he used to go over there, and the Roost Chris was one of their tenants. So he used to go there, uh, like, every night. And so when I was up in Monterey, we went down there one time, and uh, they put us up in, you know, one of the top floors of that Holiday Inn. We met him for dinner, and he says, hey, how's your room? And I said, well, I got one problem. I was trying to get my volleyball net set up in the room, and it just didn't quite fit. <laughs> so we go down to Roost Chris, and me and my wife are sitting there at the bar waiting for him to show up. And like, you know, we're a couple of rubes in that place and everyone's ignoring us. And uh, so he walks in and, and we had just gotten seated. He walks in and the manager sees who we're with and the waiter is out and we get Johnny, you know, the 58 year old waiter. And he takes <laughs> the menus away and yeah. he just starts bringing stuff to the yeah. table. And it says, my wife, well, do you like asparagus? Well, yeah, but I was thinking about having the broccoli. Have both, you know. Uh -huh. How, you know, do you like cheesecake? Yeah, I, I think I do. Well, do you like it with chocolate or strawberries? Well, have both. That was a good, that was a good <laughs> wow. way to eat it, Bruce Chris. No kidding. Yeah. No remember kidding. that other place I was trying to remember? It's Mimi's. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a good Mimi. place. Yeah. yeah. Right on, right on, right on the, the uh, El Camino Real. Yeah. Yeah. No, Mimi's yeah, is. They had uh, one in Florida when we were down there. Okay, good. Mimi, so, Mimi's, is Mimi's is a <laughs> national chain. No, no, it's great food. Great food. The um, you know, you mentioned uh, you know, Will's wife Carrie, um, a couple times today, and I ran across something Carrie, either she sent me, I think she sent it to me, and I've kept it on my phone, and it it has a picture of Washington crossing the Delaware. And Will's familiar with this. That it says Americans willing to cross a frozen river to kill you in your sleep on Christmas. Totally not, totally not kidding. We've done it. <laughs> it's let me tell you. It's <laughs> and so it's the classic painting of Washington across the Delaware, right? It's uh, I saw that and I started laughing and I've kept it on my phone and. Uh, 
And every time I every time I run across it, uh, I think of her. Um, earlier, or was it earlier this week? Yeah, I saw an article that talked about Adam Smith, representative type, who's the oh, chairman yeah. of the uh, House Armed Service Committee. Uh, did a thing with I think it's uh, Michael O'Hanlon of Brookings, and when he says uh, we should we need to be done with the F thirty five. Um. And and I I just uh, I wanted to talk about that, which is stunning, and that seems to be <clears throat> you you read a lot about that that the Air Force has concluded that it's not sustainable in terms of the budget. It's simply too expensive. What twenty five thousand dollars an hour to operate? There, you know, and I don't know if that's how accurate that number is, but you don't yeah. see a whole lot of people pushing back on that narrative saying. This thing is just too much. I wonder if you guys saw that and what your thoughts on this thing that's been in the pipeline since 1992 now being now brought to market and it doesn't do what we need it to do. Yeah, I'll tell you, when I went up, when I went up to the ACMAX office, that program was in real trouble. I don't think that they had produced any of the Marine Corps variants yet. And uh, General Amos said, I'm now the program manager. And they came in to brief him every month on that thing to try and get it back on track. And, uh, you know, the thing about the F-35, to exploit all the capabilities, you need all kinds of things in its tail from, I forget how many hundreds of millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars we're going to have to pour into Beaufort and Yuma just to rebuild all the hangars to include the power sources. The power sources had to be absolutely pristine electricity. Uh, Not to mention LHDs too. Yeah. And so there was this huge cost that you could see, but then the ground radar systems to be able to exploit it and the communications to get all the information that it was supposed to be able to generate and sort of be an airborne server for, and I, and I know in in the uh, MROC, which is where the Marine Corps figures out how it's going to divvy up its budget, the assistant commandant is the chair of the MROC, and I know that General Dunford was always concerned that, you know, we were going to have a 21st century Air Force and an 18th century everything else in the Marine Corps, and that this thing was going to bankrupt the ground side just by providing the support uh, that it was going to take. And uh, there's a famous graph in the Pentagon that shows the cost of airplanes over time. And basically, if as you project the cost of airplanes, at some point in the 2030s or the 2040s, the entire DOD budget will be, be able to buy one airplane if they continue to go on the same cost curve that they've been going on. And it... Uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot to be said for unmanned systems, um, yes. seaborne unmanned systems, airborne unmanned systems. Um, and, you know, F-35 is TS compartmentalized. You know, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I know when you try and make an airplane that the Air Force on 10,000 foot runways, you know, the Navy on carriers and the Marine Corps, uh, you know, vertical, 
it's hard for me to believe that you can get a system that's really going to do those three things, do all of them well, um, and be affordable. And so it doesn't appear that it's getting to be that way. Yeah. And the, uh, the, the effect on, on amphib shipping to make those ships able to, to uh, handle the F-35 was uh, it basically just kind of made the rest of the MU insignificant. And especially that big deck, which is like the flagship of the Mew, it was, uh, it's just incredibly uh, dramatic, you know, the, the change it did. And, and then the way the Navy was looking at it, because of the, the demographics of the people who command Navy amphibs changed through the years. And now it's like a farm team for fixed wing, uh, you know, carrier guys. Before they get command of a carrier and then later a carrier battle group, they get command of a, a big deck amphib. And uh, they were all, their, their attitude was, oh, this is just another way for us to use the F-35. Oh, and we got some grunts here, you know, and these, these little puddle jumpers that trail behind the uh, LHD, you know, that uh, can do this and that. Which is another kind of mis- mystery to me about the re- willingness to let the BHR just go. Because it was one of those that had already been changed over, you know, and that... Uh, yeah, you know, I don't think that money's wasted, you know. Right. No, I mean they said that. I mean, I saw stuff that said the hole was warped, and I, I mean, I don't. I mean, God only knows what what the, what the truth is, but you know that 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 yeah. fire raged so long, so hot that it warped. There was no, there was literally nothing they could do to, uh, to fi- fix it, and uh, and they weren't re- and they and they weren't willing. I think Will pointed out they weren't willing to tie up the assets that would be required and spend the money that was necessary and that the the uh, the opportunity cost was simply too great uh, because our shipping, right, our, our, our dry docks capacity is just so finite in the nation. Yeah, you think about the Air Force flying F-22, which they retired early because of cost. So why is it so costly? The, the only thing I can, is, I mean, I need to fuel it ain't the bombs. All that stuff costs the same as everything. Right. It's right. got to be in maintaining the airframe stealth. And I don't know yeah. much about it, but right. it's got to be incredibly intense. And then you think about the Air Force. Clean hangers, smart people. No one ever gets dirty, you know. Uh, and we think that we're going to put a stealthy aircraft doing what we did with Harriers, taking off at dirty highways. It just, you know, it doesn't. It really doesn't get you. You can't get past the second question. And well, then there's another question: it's like against who? Like, uh, what's the what's the competition? Is the competition able to even handle the F-22, or for that matter, you know, the F-18? F-18. You know, yeah. You know, so why are we spending all this money on? To, are we going to fight the like the Martians or something? Or you know, it's like uh, I'm not saying we shouldn't get it far ahead as we can. But when it becomes an impractical expense, that that well, yeah, know, no, I mean, you can't field the and, you, and you can't field the numbers that you need to field, and you can't have any attrition in it because there is no extras. Let me just read. Let me just read a few of the quotes. Quote: We've got to seriously scrub programs like the F thirty five Lightning, right? <clears throat> Instead of rewarding people for failure, not results. Speaking at a Brookings Institute online forum. Representative Adam Smith, Democrat from Washington, said, quote, there's not an easy way out of the F-35 program. It all comes down to not putting 
are your eggs in one basket, he said. He went on to say, I want to stop throwing money down that rat hole. Instead of buying more F-35s, he said the Air Force's FX, no, F-15EX could provide a model for other services to follow on adding capacity to their air fleets without retooling production lines already developed for foreign military sales. Um, he compared the F-35, quote, he compared it to asking the cookie monster how many cookies you should have in your cookie store. Is there ever a time when we're going to have enough to satisfy the combatant commanders on what they want? No. There's only a finite amount of money. Smith added, tell them this is your budget, make it work. Then he said, let's just spend the goddamn money effectively. Substantively, in talking about the the size of the budget, is about the least important thing we should talk about. So anyway. Um, pretty oh, blunt. The thing is, though, pretty blunt discussion. That guy, he's, he's the guy that voted on those budgets. Right. Yeah. Right. And I didn't do I, it. I met that guy in 2009 in Jalalabad. He was there. It was uh, me and the army uh, brigade commander who owned the R. That part of RC East, and my boss, uh, Colonel Avzal, the Afghan brigade commander. And the SEAL Team 6 guys, that's where they lived. And uh, we, you know, we, we each talked to them about our different, it was at the SEAL Teams guys at their ranch or whatever you want to call it, you know. But, uh, and he was, uh, he's your typical Democrat, man. That's why I got to laugh when I hear about you got to be responsible with your money. The stuff, uh, you know, I mean, he's Washington, I think, right? Washington State? Yes. Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. Boeing. Yeah. And, and, you know, Congress is the one that votes on the budget. It's, it's not uniforms. Yeah. You know, it's, it's congressmen vote on it. Yeah, it's just, you know, DOD budget this year, I think, is going like $700 billion, something like that, plus or minus 50. You know, that's all a rounding error. Right. They just spent three times that amount on fucking COVID, for God's sakes. After yeah. spending three times that amount on COVID, you know, three months ago. Um, you know, just spend the goddamn money effectively. Oh, for God's sakes. This this country is 200 and however many years old. When has Congress ever just spent the money effectively? I mean, that's, uh, that's almost laughable. Uh, give me back all the money for the war on poverty. What about, how about the many wars you have that never get won? How about this though? Air Force admits, headline, Air Force admits the F-35 fighter jet costs too much so it wants to spend even more developing and procuring a brand new non-stealth plane to save money makes sense only if the pentagon can defy its entire history in defense spending um and they quote they quote him and then that's where the that's where the um that's where the $25,000 um price tag uh, i'm sorry the f-35 costs thirty-six thousand dollars on the average compared to twenty-two thousand to fly an f-16 right and that's by the hour lockheed martin claims it could reduce the operating cost to twenty-five thousand per hour by 2025 but only if it's awarded an exclusive maintenance contract there you have it 
the estimated cost of the program over its lifetime, $1.6 trillion. <laughs> what? Uh, it, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. And, and it's just like shipbuilding, right? It's just like shipbuilding, right? We're, we need, you know, I just saw this article, I don't know how many months ago. We need X, uh, X number of the FFX class frigate right now, right? And, and you know, by the time they get done with the cost overruns, we'll get half the number and they'll be out of money because they, they can't control the cost overruns, blah, 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 blah. And it's the way we do it. And so we have this dwindling number of ships, you know, that, 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 that can do what we say we're going to do. And I don't know, at, at some point, you know, you have to have enough to get out there and do your shit. And then maybe you, you buy the aftermarket shit aftermarket. Um, but the way we do it, just I don't know. It just seems. I mean, you you look at we we were laughed about the. There's more ships off Iwo Jima than it's are are on active. I mean, by far, it's own battleship, man. Right, but by far than are in the United States Navy now. So it's just um, pretty interesting and shocking though when you see something like that, somebody of that um, visibility saying that. We gotta we gotta stop funding this thing. Pretty amazing. Well, um, let's see what he does though. Is he yeah. the chairman of the Hask? Yes. I'd be. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Let's see what he does. He's got a lot of juice. Let me ask you another here's a leadership question. Um headline. Sailors say this submarine has been ravaged by bed bugs. Okay. Now it seems to me when you have a problem. Anywhere in the American military, if you're uh, Joe Snuffy and you don't like the answer, the next thing that happens is that shit goes out on social media and then somebody's dancing in front of somebody explaining it. Um, what? Uh, first of all, thoughts on that? Yeah, well, uh, obviously that's what, what happens and it's going to happen. But, you know, the solution of bed bugs is really not that hard. Who who is our company Gunny and Lima Company, Jeff? Gunny Brown. Gunny Bratton, yeah. Yeah. So we were on an LST and we were about eighty or a hundred Marines into surge birthing on an LST, which means in a compartment that was meant for about a hundred, we had 140, 150 guys in there. And uh me and Gunny Bratton used to go down and inspect that thing every day. And it smelled like bleach and Windex. And you think Marines enjoy doing that? Somehow I doubt it. But you know what? We never had lice. We never had bed bugs. We never right. had filth. Uh, you know, that's a that's a fundamental. If there's bed bugs in a submarine, fire the XO, right? He's supposed to inspect those spaces every day. Um, yeah, but the other part of it is, yeah, of course it's going to go out on social media because it's, it's every – what is it now? Every 14 to 29-year-old's God-given right to display their entire life for the entire for the whole world on social media. Yeah, so. yeah it's awful. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I don't know the solution to it. I mean, practically speaking. I guess the only thing is, uh, you know, uh, if uh, I just... Uh, Something goes out on social media that's personal about you're out there, like you're on a ship or something like that. There's got to be, there's got to be, um, you know, the, 
UCMJ uh, response to it. Well, uh, it think about this, though. This is, and then it is minimized. Like you can on ship and overseas, we were able to control what was going in and out, you know, uh, because we control the whole internet there. But I don't know if that's going to continue with, uh, you know, the rise of technology and shit like that. And, uh, you know, because uh, you, you could shut down everything. You know, we go to River City all the time. Whenever somebody gets killed, you're at River City until their next of kin gets notified. But I don't know if um, I don't know if that's going to be viable in the future. You know, with the uh, information will always find a way. Right, yeah. I agree. But I mean, these stories. This is a number two story in the early bird today. I mean, it's just like it's in my opinion it's stupid. Really, it must be a slow news day. Yeah, must be a slow news day. Um, well, when you think about it, is it really though? Because uh, it, it follows the rest of the media. I mean, because uh, we, to me, we got important things happening on our border, and happen in regards to the Chinese, and happen in regards to the, the the voting act that the Democrats are pushing through. But then we got a lot of bullshit out there too that is coming at you. Like uh, here now, there's some asshole who wants to cancel Jesus. I mean, they want to, all this <laughs> stupid cancel culture shit. Then you got the crap with the uh, the uh, you know the the, the the Duchess of Sussex, you know, Megan, whatever the fuck her name is. And people, you know, you're constantly getting bombarded with tripe that uh, distracts you from important things. You know? well, so let it's me like, tell you uh, what I did. I watched The Sound of Music on Sunday. Yeah, no you, shit. Man. Yeah, well, you're, like, you're, you're like the Austrian dude who's the boyfriend of the, uh, the in the beginning, right? The guy with the Nazi, Nazi swastika. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, that's not me. I'm not that guy. I don't think Shh. I mean, you look like him, kind of. What? When you were young. When you were young. <laughs> the, um... I, I know, you're just digging this thing deeper. What? No, so I was, like, looking for something to watch, and i like, there's nothing on here that I want to watch, right? And I, yeah. I don't know why it pops in my head, and I thought, you know what makes me happy? I'll watch the sound of music. So I go looking for the sound of music. And it turns out, I've got to buy it, okay? So yeah. I can rent it for 4 bucks. I can buy it for either 16 or 17 the $16 version is 2 hours and 58 minutes. The $17 version is 3 hours and 44 minutes. I thought, well, for an extra buck, I'll get an extra hour. What the fuck? Boom. So I buy it. <clears throat> First of all, if you haven't watched The Sound of Music in a long time, you should watch it. Because it is a great flick. Okay? It is. And, and I thought of our, our lives back in the day. 60 minutes of national news. 60 minutes of local news. Okay, mm -hmm. and then you went back to network programming. Okay, mm -hmm. you came home from school. There was what a couple hours of cartoons between three o'clock and five o'clock when the national news came on, and then at five thirty the local news came on at six o'clock. You know, Jeopardy was on or some shit, right? Or I can't remember what. On Sunday night, we used to watch. We watched used well, to well, FBI, FBI and Bonanza, all right. on NBC. I remember right. And but that was the meter of our lives, and the sound of music made me think of that. And um, but the movie's great. And at the end of the seventeen dollar version, Julie Andrews goes back on the fiftieth anniversary of uh, of uh, of the filming of the release of it, and she goes through Salzburg to all the different places that they filmed. And oh my! And let me tell you, it was 
And it was cool. I watched it with uh, my two daughters, Catherine and Colleen, and absolutely enjoyed it. And I will tell you what, Salzburg, absolutely breathtaking. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. And all, like, the place, they say, you know, that Maria and Captain Von Trapp got married in the Abbey. They actually did not. It was a church called, coincidentally, called St. Michael's now. But that thing is absolutely breathtaking. You look at, it's just, and then they take you to all the different places they used for the filming. And it's just, Salzburg just absolutely gorgeous. And she's sitting there talking to people about how the sound of music changed, right? Tourism in the city, how many people, like, there's that scene where they, where she's, he's gone to see the Baroness, right? The evil Baroness, Cruella Deville, Cruella Deville in the movie, um, and they're running and they run around this fountain, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, they're, they're running and she and and they're talking to the guy who runs the square. He goes, "Oh my God, all day people do that. <laughs> they see the fountain, they <laughs> they run to the fountain, and they run around the fountain." And he said, "All day." My father. They took us to see that movie in 1965, whenever it came out. Yeah. And I remember saying to my dad, because I used to torment my dad with questions. Dad, how can you be a sea captain in Austria? <laughs> There's no ocean there. How do they practice? Shut up, Jeffrey. <laughs> you know, I asked, I thought the same thing. How the hell do they have a yeah. how they have a navy? Well, there was a day when Austria, by virtue of maps that are older, right? Austria Hungary, yeah. Yeah. And they did they did have a navy, so there was a That's where that's where the Archduke Franz Ferdinand got shot down by one of the ports they had. There you Sarajevo. Go. There you go. <laughs> the um but the so I, I watched that movie and you know, as opposed to the cacophony of shit that comes out I mean, is my life better now that I know what's going on in Washington, D.C. every second of the day? Fuck no, it's not. It's, no. And, and, and does it have, does my knowledge of that shit, you know, uh, benefit me because I'm uh, more aware and able to, to change my behavior? No, all it does is pisses me off. So to me, exactly. shut it off and watch the sound of music. Put that fucker right. on a loop, okay? And that's what I did because I paid I paid seventeen I paid seventeen bucks for it. I'm going to watch the shit out of it. Um, yeah. But I no, I thought about I mean that in terms of you know the cacophony of shit that comes at us on a regular basis, and that's the cannon fodder of you know of of daily life in the country now, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think yeah. It's, I think it's not good. I, I think that there's a trend though. Of people tuning out the news. I mean, I know in my life, people close to me have tuned out yeah. on social media and the news and say, you know what? I feel better. Right. What's well, the fact? It. Yeah, if you do it. Right. You do feel better. Yeah. 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 The, the, um, Just keep your powder dry, though. <laughs> it's like Just the your... thing with the chigger, Mac. It's like it feels good to tear open those calves and scratch the fuck out of that and then pour alcohol or bleach into it. Yeah, I'm doing something worthwhile. But if you stick your feet in the ocean and just read a book or throw fucking pebbles at your kids, you, it turns out a lot better. So I guess it's like the same type of thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you don't see it, you know. Well, and, and, the, and the other thing is, without. what is the, the net effect is that and, and, and I've said this for I don't know how long. The nightly news is not our country. 
It is it is the shit that they can put in front of you that will make you watch or click and they monetize that shit. Okay? It is the biggest idiots in our country doing the stupidest shit that they're going to put in front of you, right, to get you to watch and to click. That's it's all financially driven. That's not our country. If you look around this country, anytime anytime bad shit happens, what do Americans do? They always help each other. In, in any part of the country any of us have ever lived in, whether it's hurricanes off the Carolina coast, whether it's, it, it's, it's horrible weather or fires in Southern California, what happens? People bring blankets. People bring food. People, I mean, that's our country. I mean, when I was living up in North Dakota, when the rivers get high in the spring because the thaw is too fast, you know, what do people do? They come and they sandbag. You know, they take your family into their homes because you have to evacuate or other bullshit. And to me, it's this, it's fought, it's this bullshit narrative in this country that we don't give a shit and we hate each other. And that's, I, 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 and again, the best part, all for money. Yeah. All for money. All for money. So I hope, uh, I hope this too shall pass. Um, I want to ask you, I want to do a segment, winners and losers of the week. Okay. Okay. Winners and losers of the week. Okay, so I'll go first, and I'll give you guys a few seconds to think. My winner of the week is Joe Biden. Okay, got his $1.9 trillion bill passed. And he's, for another week, he's dodged taking questions from the media. And he's continued to pull off this, like, thing that he's doing, which is pretty stunning, to be honest with you, that, that, that as the President of the United States, you wouldn't look at your staff and say, hey, it's time. All right. I need to go out and, and stand in front of everybody, and I need to answer questions. Uh, so to me, he's he's the winner of the week. My loser of the week, and this pains me to say this, because I used to hold the guy in high regard because of the Invictus Games. But Prince Harry, throwing his family under the bus, the family that, that gave, has given him everything in his life, has made him a, a multimillionaire, dude never has to work in his life, that's how he repays his family. You know, goes to the United States and goes on Oprah and rips the shit out of him. So to me, he is my he is my loser of the week. So in addition to what are you reading, I think this sh- this is going to become a regular feature. All right. Well, winners and losers. I feel like Brett Bear right now. He does this. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think the I think the loser uh well, we'll see. I mean, I think Cuomo is is got to be the loser of the last couple of weeks, you know. Um, and it's it it's almost entertaining to see what people were saying about him a month ago, two months ago, three months ago. Um, and the only the only way that you know, he may end up becoming a winner on this because people have forgotten the ten or fifteen thousand people that he killed um, by sending sick people in old folks' homes and exterminating, you know, thousands of aged New Yorkers. Um, so, I, I think he's a, a loser of the week. Um, winner? Yeah, who's the winner? Um, all right, think about it. Jeff, do you have a winner or loser of the week right now off the top of your head? Yeah, my winner, my winner of the week is probably Ron DeSantis 
because um, he's doing good down there in Florida, and he held his mud. He wouldn't. Uh, I mean, and basically, real simple. He said, "Who's this disease killing most of? It's killing old people. It's killing infirm people who are in homes and stuff like that." So he protected them, and and that's has been his priority, and it's worked out for him. Um, I heard say, a, I, I heard an interesting statistic today, and that was uh, California and Florida have very similar COVID rates right now across the state, and took vastly different paths to get the same result, which means essentially well, say that. that all the ass pain, right, that got inflicted on California business was unnecessary. Well, it's funny you mention that because my loser of the week is <laughs> the handsome boy himself, Governor Newsom, because he he made this bogus speech, uh, I think it was yesterday. State of the state. State of the state thing, where basically it was like a, a pathetic campaign, you know, uh, but uh, – but, but that's exactly – that's self-evident. Like we hold these truths to be self-evident. California put itself through all this bullshit. And then he gets caught multiple times flouting his own rules. Doesn't, you know, um, totally arrogant about the whole thing. And uh, and Californians, I think, are finally fed up with it. I mean we're well over what we need to be as far as signatures for his recall. Now if that will really happen or whatever – I don't know. I mean, I'm not, and I know that it was a big disappointment when uh, the uh, the guy, um, what was his name? Uh, uh, he got he got recalled in 2003, and Arnold ended up being the governor. Gray oh, Davis, Gray right? Davis. And uh, yeah. so, and that was a disappointment. As a matter of fact, and this is just incidentally, I was worried when President Trump was running and then got elected because I really liked him, but I thought, I wonder if this fucking guy is gonna end up like like fucking Arnold, a big disappointment. And he wasn't. In my opinion, you know, Trump was a real deal. And uh, he, he's like the best president to me since I've been alive. And that's going with some because I've been alive a long time. And, uh, you know, even better than Reagan. I really thought the guy was going away. He was really what we fucking needed. And uh, but I'll tell you what, um, I think this guy uh, Newsom is the loser of the week because I think even if he doesn't get actually over, you know, recall, it's just not good for your record, you know what I mean, to have a, a recall in California, too. And he's like, and, you know, there's this weird familial um, connection between him and Pelosi and uh, uh, some other big family up there, uh, you know, that's been running shit in California. He's connected with Harris. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and all that shit, you know. And so, um, you know, I, I, uh, I like to see. You know, the, what is the, how's the quote go? The race is not to the swift, nor the, nor the battle to the strong. They're, they're all under the, and now this is where I forget it. They're all under the whim of chance, you know? And uh, these fucking arrogant who's, bastards. Who's, whose quote is that? Um, I think Yogi Berra. No. I, <laughs> you, you turned it I, into a Yogi Berra quote. There's somebody famous. I don't, I don't remember who. But uh, Hold on. I, I think uh, I just found it. Is it is it Rudyard Kipling or somebody or what? No, it's a, it says Ecclesiastics. There you go. There you go. Yeah, my Bible again. Man. <laughs> I, I take it back, not knowing it. I did know it. It was Ecclesiastic. His his first name is Eek, and his last name is Ecclesiastic. <laughs> hold on, uh, hold on. Yeah. When we say the race is not given to the swift nor the strong, but unto them that endure to the end, is that what yeah. you were meaning to say? 
Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, but there's shit in there. If the whole thing about chance, chance and dumb and fate, you know, just you know, I have to tell you, I think one of those uh, self-serving stories that uh, a guy who's now a general, who used to be a company commander in three eight, wrote. I think one of his uh, quotes in there was, uh, you know, what I'm talking about Will. Yes. Uh, you know, yeah, I think one of his quotes in there was, see, I'm being very tactful and, and, uh, normally you're not. Just, no, I've uh, got some hate mail. I mean, you, you, you on a regular basis take General Krulak to the whipping shed. Yeah. Well, some guy, um, said, uh, that he thinks the, uh, story about General Krulak and John F. Kennedy was, uh, not true. Right. And I have to tell you, I, I got that story from a bright and shining lie by Neil Sheehan. Which is usually considered to be a pretty good, you know. Yeah, but the guy, the guy who says that is he—he he lives in the Krulak cult. Okay. So well, that's, that's where that yeah, comes from. Well, yeah. So that, well, I mean, I, so I, your I so your story mind. would would have gone down very hard for him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, between Kennedy, Krulak, and Neil Sheehan, all of them are eminently capable of lying through their ass about <laughs> shit. If they thought of it, if they thought of it, help them. <laughs> Will we need we need a winner of the week for you? You know who the winner. This is what a caustic. This is what a caustic shit. Will is I can't think of a winner. Yeah, the winner. (laughs) The winner might be this guy Piers Morgan, who I typically don't like. Yeah. But I saw a quote where he said something like, "You can't cancel me." Yeah. What did he say? Look, after he walked off at the set. Um, when they were arguing about Megan and Harry in the yeah, interview, I didn't right? even get into all the details. But someone who stands up to the mob and says he tweeted though he tweeted later either that later that day or the next day, I have after reflecting on my actions the same way. Right, <laughs> he said I still feel exactly still the asshole. same way. So he might be, even <laughs> though I remember the guy talking about gun control maybe ten fifteen years ago. And yeah, he was horrible. That's enough. Yeah, but but he might be the winner of the week. But again, he's just right. He's and he's doing. It's the same shtick, right? It's mm-hmm. right. It's sticking it right. The gun control thing at the time, sticking it to them. Pff, ratings go up, you know. And he's saying, but I think now, you know, everything I've seen say that the majority of Brits agree with him that this is not certainly not the forum to be airing out our family shit. I mean, Everyone's going through this COVID shit. Everyone's people are losing their jobs and shit like that. And then here's this broad who's worth like 10, 15 millionaire, million. Yeah. Millionaire. Oh, yes. you know, my son's not going to be the prince. Hey, lady, <laughs> ask that bearded fuck next to her knows that none of their none of the grand great great grandkids are called prince. They got to be satisfied with Lord until a grandmother croaks. <laughs> then they're automatically princes. That's the fucking that's the yellow for this thing, man. <laughs> it ain't like it ain't because your kids, you know, you know the wrong color. They could give a shit. I swear to God, I know it. You know, there, as a matter of fact, there was a. Um, so we need to vote. Hold on. There was a North African uh, princess back during George the the guy we fought to get rid of him, George the uh, George the Third. His uh, one of his sons' wives was uh, North African or something. Princess. So it ain't like the first time the Brits have, you know, you know, the the Brits are all those since William the Conqueror and since Alfred the Great up till now, the Brits have been trash dicks, you know, and uh, you know what I mean? It's like 
that's the way it goes. They're fucking horny butt bastards, you know. And uh, you know, so they get with you're gonna get everybody up there. The um, all right. What are you reading? Well, I I am still reading uh, the Plague of War. It's uh, it's only about three years old, and it's basically you know the Peloponnesian War, but she extends it um, past what Thucydides did. And it's, uh, it's really, really well done. And, uh, it's painful when you read the, this history of the Greeks and how well they understood everything. And you can see so many things that we just continue to get wrong. Um, and, uh, it's just, it's painful to read, but it's a really, really well done book. And who wrote plague of war by who? I don't have it in front of me. Go to Amazon. But it's about Thucydides and all those guys, right? Right. Yeah, it starts just before um, Thucydides starts his, and she continues it, I think, uh, to the demise of Sparta, which takes another 20, 30 years, I think. By Jennifer Roberts. Jennifer Roberts. And it's funny because... Yeah, but we didn't... I mean, why would we... I mean, we had Don Rumsfeld. I mean, what do we need that shit for? And then... Interesting, on the... I, yeah. I, I got to do some research because this book on the blurb, it's like the runner up for classical history for that year or an honorable mention. Oh, really? And I'm thinking, what could be better than this? I'm going to go find them. Yeah. Um, That's neat. really well done. Jeffrey, what are you reading? So when I was home, uh, when I, not home, but when I was visiting my kids in Colorado. Wait, when did that? Got, when did, oh, this is over ago. Christmas. They got me three books. Um, I, Claudius, Claudius the God, and um, Suetonius, Lives of the Twelve Caesars. So I read all these books before, but I, I started reading Lives of the Twelve Caesars again because there's more to it. They have the guy um, who uh, wrote the uh, I, Claudius, and Claudius the God in the 30s. He, he did like the forward for this and everything. So, but really the first one is about Julius Caesar and the guy is like super interesting to read about. Like, uh, the way he handled his troops, the shit he did, what did he the way do? he handled politics. What did he do with his troops? It was, well, first of all, he led by example and, uh, you know, he, which is, which was, uh, a lot of those guys did that. It was necessary, but he made a science out of leading by example and making himself seen. And he realized, give us an example. How did Caesar make himself seen? Well, whenever they come to, and can you relate it to the battle scene in Maximus? Yeah, I can. So whenever they come to a river, he'd be the first one to jump in and swim across. He was outstanding swimmer and stuff. And he got himself into trouble. I mean, throughout not only in Gaul, not only in Germany, but also when he was in Egypt, and he did that at the at the Nile. He did that at the Nile. That's a bad call. He he did it in he did it not the Nile, but uh, in the uh, the bay there in Alexandria, and uh, because he had to he had to escape, you know, from uh, a a chance that he took, and he jumped in the water. He held he had his cloak above the water, and he had the uh, he had a bunch of scrolls. That was uh, documents that he had in his teeth, and he's like basically sculling with one hand in his legs. He must have been a away. good swimmer. He was, yeah. And then wow. uh, he also uh, WS- he would do stuff WSQ? like WSQ, whatever, the, whatever. Yeah, it was SPQR. 
it means it means it means a swimming motherfucker in Latin, man. But uh, anyway, he was uh, he's just shrewd that way. He knew how to handle the troops, and he would, uh, you know, he he he's the first guy to go down calling his guy his men comrades instead of you know shitheads or whatever shitheads and stuff like that. And uh, they also would call them blowjobs, or the Latin word what? for blow, it's fellators. Fellators means someone who gets a blowjob, which is kind of a obscene <laughs> compliment to a guy. What? And he called that, and uh, and he said... Come on, are you making yeah, this up now? Because you know Will and I haven't read the book, you're just, you're just talking the craziest shit you could ever talk? Yeah, that's it. Well, that's a pretty ugly statue. Yeah, and uh, so it's just an interesting uh, – and how he started out, he got the highest medal that they would get. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think that's where the the term fellas comes from? No, no. No, it doesn't. I have a question. Okay. Jeff, what's it like to read a book that someone gave you as opposed to a book that you stole? It's not as satisfying. <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> I would much rather have stolen it from him. Well, you stole your original copies, so <laughs> – <Yeah. laughs> I don't know where I got. I give away a lot of books too, boy. It's just a vicious slander on me about the <laughs> book stealing thing. But it does give. It gives me kind of a raffish, you know, jumble make hair reputation. So I go along with it, you know. <laughs> give me a uh, political. His sense of could we politically? I mean, what uh, other well, than Cleopatra, of course. That's a good. That's what I was just going to segue into his political savvy. He was a noble family, but a poor family. His family went back a long way in the patrician line, but his family had fallen on hard times in the century before. They were poor. And his attitude towards money was, it's a means to an end. And the whole point about Julius Caesar and Mark Antony and Pompey and Crassus and all those guys in that time is they're all in competition Hold on. with each other. Pompey or Pompey? The correct way of saying it is Pompey, but it's Will? who you would call Pompey. Will's the, the resident Italian. He made lasagna last no, week. No, was Pompey back then. Pompey. Yeah, Pompey. It Pompey. depends if you're from the east side of Rome or <laughs> the west side of Rome. <laughs> it's like being from Brooklyn or the Bronx. You know, it's it's hard to tell. But uh, so he, but they were all in competition with each other for this undefinable thing. They all want to be the first man in Rome. And uh, the competition of these guys who were leaders in that, in that culture, eventually it's what destroyed, what made it good. And that's the Republic. You know, it was, it, it died with Julius Caesar. Okay. So how does, how does Caesar not see that he's going to get stabbed? Well, he's, he, he, he ran into that, that, that possibility before many times. And he just thought that, um, he didn't, he didn't realize the uh, the forces that uh, were arrayed against him. Finally, that's always the way it happens. Finally, it? yeah, the the guy who gets credit for uh, being his like the guy who he mentored, Mark Antony's, he's probably really the one that put the uh, that you know allowed him to get assassinated. Yeah, and so he was assassinated. He got stabbed twenty three times um, in the uh, in the. It was a not the Senate chamber. They they're re, refurbishing the Senate. He refurbished everything when he became dictator, and uh, so they're refurbishing that. It was in the, it was uh, in a temple, and he was under the statue of Pompey, who he had just bested in the Civil War, and uh, that's where he got stabbed to death. And, and you know, 
you got to give Caesar credit for not thinking they were going to do it because as soon as they figured out what they'd done, they all ran. Yeah, they ran like bitches, man. And how many different guys stabbed them? Probably about 12 actually got in there, but a bunch of the senators were standing there holding knives. And the idea was everybody's got going to have a hand in this, so we can't, you know. But in those days, there's like 300 senators. So they, but probably about twelve guys. And the guy who really probably put the the fatal blow into him was probably Brutus, who was uh, close to him. Did you Caesar know? actually say "et to Brutus"? Did he well, say I that? Well, don't know for sure. Or is that Shakespeare waxing eloquent? Uh, Shakespeare, according to Suetonius, he didn't make a noise. He didn't make a sound when he realized it was the end. He covered his head with his uh, with his toga, and they just finished killing him. But uh, he was fighting back pretty hard. He took he took his pen and ran it through a guy's arm, and he got it out. and He's going to run it through the guy's neck, but everybody was around him with knives and stuff, and you know he, he couldn't. Uh, yeah. Plus, he was getting on too, and he was starting to physically have problems. Like he had. How old, uh, how old was he? He was like fifty five when he died. Nah, that's an old. That's that's an old man. For those days, and for his life. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Although he was a teetotaler, he never drank. Oh, there, you go. there you go. Yeah. A uh, reason not to trust him. Yeah, right. What? And, uh, yeah, he, uh, but like when he bribed people, not only would he bribe a guy, he would bribe the guy's servant. Oh, he, you know, he would, that's uh, the insurance policy right there. Yeah, exactly right. And he would, uh, he would reward people with, uh, you know, with, um, with, with high positions. Well, let me he, tell you, and, and let me tell you why that's such a smart move. So when Rolf comes to deliver the first telegram to the Von Trapp house, Right, telling the captain he's being summoned to, is it, uh, is it Berlin? No, it'll probably be Vienna. To accept his commission, right? Rolf. So I I don't understand how you know when the von Trapp family shoves the car out of the garage and they're going to leave. How did the Nazis get to be standing there, right? How did the Nazis get to be standing there? And, and, you know, they turn on their lights, right? And they're like, hey, what's going on? And he's like, well, we can't start our car. We're going to sing tonight. But they were actually getting, they were going to diddy Mao, right? So they were the going to get, they were the going to. Didn't one of the nuns take distributor wires? Well, that's later. Okay, yeah. that's later. And, yeah, they did. But at the, at, the, at the very beginning of the movie, when the guy delivers this, he knocks on the door and the butler answers the door. And he says, are there any new developments? And he says, yes, but I will tell you about that later. This is a, so t- a spy. Exactly. And yeah. so I don't know. I don't know if I re-ran it back or I was watching it the second time. And I'm sitting there. My daughters are messing around. And I said, I knew it. The son of a bitch butler is a Nazi. They're like, what? I said, watch this. I said, that's how the cars get there later. And they're like, oh, dad. See, so I'm like a nuanced Sound of Music fan. I'm not just your average rube sitting there watching Julie Andrews, you know, sing and do her shit, okay? I'm like putting the pieces of this mystery together. Um, I've been, I, I continue to listen to Man's Search for Meaning, and I got a question for you. One, I think what an interesting thing, Frankel, who, who, who this version was kind of touched up in the, in the early 80s, and he says this, existential distress right meaning 
I don't know. I'm struggling in life. I don't know what I'm here for. I don't have a purpose. I'm kind of lost. It's not a mental health disorder, right? But often, right, mental health providers, therapists will treat it as a mental health disease. With med- so, so somebody's scuffling for meaning and other things in their life, something we used to go see a clergyman for, right? You went to see your parish priest, you know, blah, 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 blah. Now we go see a therapist for, and they treat you like you have a mental health disorder with meds, right? Boom, right out of the chute, right? With meds, and then, you know, as long as your insurance will play, going to therapy. And, and so I've, I've had that in my head, and, and then I saw a statistic. Um, enlisted service members comprise 92% of suicide. And they comprise 82% of the force. Okay? Now, I'm going to give you a hypothesis on my part. And I want, I want your opinion as we walk out the door this evening. Because Will's got to go to bed. <clears throat> I believe the reason that the enlisted suicide rate is higher doesn't have anything to do with education. I believe that in their background, in, in the environment that they grow up, a lot of those homes don't have environments that are conducive to you being encouraged to be a disciplined student and achieving academically. As a result, they, you know, a lot of people don't do well in school, and it has nothing to do with it innate intelligence. It simply right. has to do with what's going on in your home, and it's not. And then, as I begin to struggle in school, I say, "Fuck it, man! I'm, you know." I'm better in sports, and, and then when the, the chance comes, I graduate from high school, and I, you know, and I decide uh, I'm not going to college. I mean, I, fuck, I've hated school, even though everybody tells me I'm really smart, man. I've sucked at it. I believe that's it's it's that it's that environment that is the delta between their 82 percent uh, as a percentage of the force, but 92 percent of, of the suicide. Um, what would you say to that? Would you say that that sounds plausible, reasonable? You should be able to parse, um, the demographic of the enlisted force versus a demographic of society and find where that demographic fits and then compare, uh, that way. And that should prove or disprove your thesis on that. Um, you know, in theory, the demographics of the enlisted force of the United States is better than the demographics of society at large, right? Everyone's a high school graduate, uh, less drug use, but but those statistics should be out there to be able to parse and determine if that's if that's true or not. W- without knowing it, you would you would suspect that the demographics of the officer. Uh, versus enlisted um, are likely to be more intact homes. And I just say that because to be an officer, you got to be able to get through college. I think people that come from intact homes are more likely. I could be wrong on that. No, um, I, 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 I believe that's my, that's yeah. my hypothesis is it has nothing to do with intelligence. It has yeah. to do with earlier turbulence that derails somebody academically, right? And, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And then and then the, to me, really, the key thing is, you know, 
how does the demographic compare to society at large? And that determines how much of a problem we really have. We may have, a, we may have less of a problem than society. Doesn't mean it's not a problem for us, because right. it is a problem for us. But if you have less of a problem for society, okay, why is that? Yeah. And then how do you continue? Do you mean, you mean, do, on, do you mean overall, overall suicide? Because, or are we talking about comparing high school graduate suicide yeah. rate um, in the population to high school graduates suicide rate in the military? Whatever our demographic is, right. what's, yeah. a, what's a like demographic in society? Do we yeah. have, are we better or worse? If we're better, good for us. We still have a problem. Okay, why are we better? And then one of the things we do is we try and improve the demographic pool that we're getting to the point that we can still recruit the force. Right. If we had a city, if there's a city made up of the demographics that comprise the Marine Corps, about 182,000 people um, from anywhere else in the United States, the Marine Corps would would probably compare favorably in all those uh, statistics as far as crime, alcoholism, drug addiction, stuff like that, to a city with a similar, uh, you know, demographic makeup. But uh, I think with uh, with the Marine Corps, and I'm going to maybe be a little chauvinistic Marine Corps wise here, but the person who joins the Marine Corps is more likely to be a person who is looking to better themselves as a person, and not maybe in a tangible way of like getting an education. Or you know, getting a you know a skill that they can that they can use as an avo- as a vocation in later life. They want to actually be better people, braver, you know, stronger, better, more upright, better than when they came in. They're like the sneeches of America. They want to go through the thing and come out with a star on their belly, you know, psychologically that they're good. And so the Marine Corps can't really be. It's it's not easy to get that in the Marine Corps. And uh, so there's disappointment for a lot of people. I have to tell you, when I came in, I think in, half more, in the half-formed alcohol fog of my mind, I kind of had that. And I was disappointed. But then I was able to find a guy here and there, usually senior to me, who uh, had the same attitude. And I ran into this one guy who said, I can't remember who it was, but he's a good NCO. I only talked to him for a little bit, and he said, uh, you know, if you can make – if you had a bad time in the Marine Corps and this or that, you know, and then now you get to be a fire team leader or you get to be a squad leader. If you can make the Marine Corps be what you expected it to be for the rest of those guys underneath you and that fire team or squad, you did something good. And so I had that in my mind. So you try that all the time. You try and make it so that it's something that's tough, but at the same time, you know, it's, uh, at least in your their little world that you control, right. you can make it you know that much better for them. And I think that type of thing is is uh, you know is incumbent in the Marine Corps. But we still have guys who, you know, they're going to commit suicide. We still have you know people who are going to do it. And uh, you know, you always we do our best to try and tamp down on it. But uh, you know, it, well, it's, let it's, me tell you. I, I mean, I, I don't know if I sent you those slides. I think I sent you guys those slides. But I mean, yeah, it's yeah. stunning yeah. to see. Over the course of, I think it's now 22 years from 1999, and then if you project current rates into 2021, that suicide will essentially triple between 1999 and 2021, and the rate has already tripled. Um, and um, but you know you don't see that that I I made that chart. 
Um, I went. I mean, every bit of that is footnoted in DOD, you know, reports and things like that. And painstakingly, every line, because you know, if you put that shit up, right, and your ass and your brain ain't wired together, somebody's going to try to jam it up your ass in public. And I don't like to play that game. Um, and so every bit. And again, I, I, I was very curious to see what it would be. And mm-hmm. and when you see those numbers, I mean, you. How do you come to any other conclusion to say, hey, look, there's got to be a wet, better way? Because if the rate tripling is, 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 is what this is, is, is where we're at, I mean, come on. This is awful. Yeah, yeah you know, I used to, go ahead. I used to sort of poll groups of Marines, and I'd say, okay, everyone, thank you. Your three reasons why you joined. Everyone who joined for a challenge, raise your hand. It's unanimous. Right. They all did. Right. And there's, there's two problems with challenge. One is sometimes we just don't challenge people. Right. Mm-hmm. And then something that they wanted to be part of isn't there. The other th- time is I used to say, okay, you join for challenge. You actually don't get to pick your challenge. Someone else picks it for us. And we just got to go do it. And when you see people make that transition that, oh, yeah, I actually joined for this shit. Um you know, that's when you're on a path to having a genuinely cohesive, good unit. Uh, and I think, you know, I think, I think Lieutenant Colonel Bice, my first battalion commander, you know, words to that effect of, hey, don't worry about that other stuff. We clean up our little piece right here. Right, right. He was not afraid to put the challenge to people. And it was painful at times. Uh, but it was one of the things he said. You don't challenge people. They start doing drugs. They go UA and you got a shitty unit. Yeah. And there's aspects of that in post-traumatic winning, I think, that, that uh, you know, yes, you're going to, you know, you, you came in for these reasons and, uh, you know, and, and the challenge is, you know, and you have these, uh, these situations that happen to you, you can't make go away, they're not going to get better, but yet you still, you know, there's meaning to continuing on and, and uh, you know, and being a good Marine, even if you don't stick around. No, and and and, and, and using so, and using those and, and again to me, and that's the thing I love about um, I love about you know what I do and 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 going around and, and the experiences that I have are just I I I'm, I I met a Marine, you know he's one of the Marines that called me at three thirteen in the morning from three five, and you know they just got back from CACS. I got a phone call from their battalion commander called me. He goes, hey, you probably heard about this. And I said, I haven't, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, well, and I'm not going to say his name. Um, he said, he was unbelievable out there. Unbelievable. In fact, I had the younger Jeff Kenny, who was just out there acting as a regimental commander. Um, you know, 3-5 uh, was a part of another battalion, and they were they were operating, doing ITX up there. And, um, or whatever we're calling it these days. And... Um, he said, I had him in front of the whole battalion, you know, you know, give him a coin. And we recognized him because of the stuff he did up there. Now, um, a lot of that is, 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 is getting to know somebody, giving a shit about him and talking about him. And that's the thing that excites me when I tell staff NCOs and NCOs is like, Hey man, every tool you need to fix 99% of these problems is sitting in this room right now. You've got to get to know them though. You've got to get to know them. And if you don't know them, if you don't know 
you know, you know what their life's dreams are. I said, and that's that's I, and I show them data from Second Marine Air Wing. I show them data from the Second Marine Division. I said, look, two major subordinate commands in the Marine Corps. Suicide attempts go down almost, you know, in the neighborhood of 50 percent. Nobody does that. I said, you know, and you know what the secret of all that was? It's you. It's not anybody else. It's no signs on the boulevard. It's not another click-through program that we're, we click through while we're watching a movie. It's none of that. It's you guys giving a shit about each other. And all that sits in this room. And, and it goes back to, you know, we join. And what makes the Marine Corps different is the, is the DNA that comes through the door that looks at a challenge like recruit training, you know, doesn't know shit about it, right, doesn't know if they can get through it and says, I'll try that. That's different DNA, and it always has been. It always has been. The mythology that surrounds our recruit training, the difficulty, and, and which is no shit, right? But that is not for the faint of heart. And when you have young people that aren't sure and that look at that shit and say, I'll try that. And again, we've all had a chance to see it um, when the metal density in the air gets pretty thick, and we've seen their selflessness and their courage take your breath away, make you cry make you cry and and they're the best and so to me it's really exciting hopefully what i do is animate them and give them a shot of of uh of truth combined with the boot in the ass combined with the vision of what you can be and then also a little teaser of you know what it feels like personally to do this on a regular basis it's the coolest drug you can ever take man and that's when i say i'm the coolest motherfucker i know and uh, and everybody laughs. You know, I said, I'm not joking. And you want to know why? Because this happens to me every day now of my life. People call me. People send me a text. Hey, you got five minutes to talk? Yes, yes, yes. Hey, will you come up and, and talk to our fire department? Will you, will, might you talk to, to my tribe? Fuck yes, fuck yes, fuck yes. I said, and, and all it starts with is, hey, man, can I talk to you? You know there's nothing wrong with you, right? That what you're going through is normal for what you've been through, and uh, and I'm like, and we are parochial, uh, and but for a good reason. We've seen it too. It's not like we haven't seen it, and we're just on here spinning a fucking tail because when shit got tough, you know they didn't they didn't man up, right? They they do, and uh, so we're <laughs> we're parochial for a good reason. But no, anyway. So yeah, that's what I've been I've been listening to Frankel. I mean, I, I, I'm not to the point where I could recite it, but I, I, I mean, he says such profound things, and he and he says this this crisis of ennui or boredom, right? And he says this in the '80s, which will only get worse as technology continues to grow in our lives and gives us more discretionary time and recreation time. And he's absolutely spot on. And so, if yeah. you're one of those people that has no meaning in your life, like Will. Right, if you're one of those people, then you're gonna struggle. And so, what do you turn to? A gambling addiction. All right. Yeah. <laughs> crisis of idle. Uh, is it idle minds or idle? The, the, the both. Phrase is, both. Yeah. Both. Well, Frank would say and idle. Interestingly, minds. of all the people you know with nothing to do, I'm one of them, and I love it. <laughs> That's what Etor says. He goes, "I love every minute." I'm. I'm I'm retired. Well, because these guys aren't idle, though. That's the thing. If you talk to them about what they're doing, uh, it'll be what they're reading, where they're going, and and whatnot. But but anyway, hi right, boys. Well, first of all, I uh, this was a show about nothing, 
and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. We did it. it well. Yeah, from Piers Morgan to uh, Prince Harry to uh, the F-35. Ecclesiastes. Yeah, we even got that guy in there. And the Sound of Music. Ecclesiastes, yeah, Ecclesiastes <laughs> and the Sound of Music. Fuck, man, what's next? <laughs> and we did it all with Timmy, without Timmy. Yeah, I know, with Tim here, it would be... It would be even better. <laughs> it would be. It would be a little bit more diverse. Anyway. All right. Thank you for the visit. See ya. See ya. There you have it. The Mensa Brothers here on a, uh, or at least two-thirds of them, here on uh, a Thursday edition of All Marine Radio. Don't touch that dial. More of this fine program coming up next.